Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. When you're at home and you feel that someone's caring for you, what is it they are doing? I get things like, they spend time with me, they listen to me. That evokes feeling cared for, as an example. You have to train your people on how to evoke emotions in customers, okay? Even if they're working on digital. (laughs) Yeah. Training like this is designed to bring everybody else up to that level. Some people get it very naturally and intuitively. Some people, once it's pointed out to them, then it becomes something that they can focus on a little bit more and excel at. So, Ryan, I always remember when I was back in corporate life and my boss said to me, Colin, I would like you to improve the customer experience and do it at least cost. Mm-hmm. And this was when I was working um, back at British Telecom back in the days, 20 years ago now. And I remember thinking, what in the hell is a customer experience? And nobody knew back then really what customer experience was. But one of the ways that I defined it was this bit about not just being rational, but being emotional. Yeah. And the good news is, since writing my first book on that back in 2002, that sort of notion has become much more accepted. Today, we're going to talk about five rules for measuring and managing customer emotions. Does that make sense? Yeah, because that's obviously the next question to ask once you've realized that emotions are an important part of this process and that they're important for the customer now what do you do with that where do you possibly go with that and so this is our attempt to give people an an easy starting place these are the five things to to get you started on that journey of managing customer emotions effectively absolutely so this is sort of like the uh, i won't call it the idiot's guide But the basic guide of here's five things that uh, you definitely need to do if you're starting off down this this track, or if you got halfway down, then this may help you in your thinking. So first rule is uh, be specific. And what I mean by that is a lot of organizations now, when you talk to them, talk about we want to evoke positive emotions in our customers. And that's fine, but my question is, well, what are they then? We're evoking too many negative emotions in our customers. People are not being specific enough. So for me, you've really got to think about which emotions that you're looking to evoke. Does that make sense? Yeah. In some sense, it's better to think about emotions at all and so even if you're at the level of positive and negative that's better than not considering it yet to your point like of the five rules i'm glad that we started with this one because it it is the most basic and the most fundamental 
this should change the way that you think about emotions. And this is based in good science. So people who study emotions also started out just thinking first about positive and negative emotions. And then as they dug into it more, they realized how important it was to figure out the specific emotions involved. So one example that I like to to use that was informative to me when I was researching this, anger and fear are both negative emotions. So if all we're measuring is negative versus positive, what, what psychologists call valence, those would show up as essentially the same. They're both bad. But anger and fear are two totally different emotions, and they evoke completely different responses. Fear is a, a an emotion that causes people to retreat, to withdraw into themselves, Anger is an active emotion and causes people to lash out. You're going to get completely different reactions from people. There are also different solutions to addressing somebody who's angry versus someone who's afraid. So I can't emphasize this enough. Obviously, all five of these rules are important, but this is a great one to start with. Know what emotions we're talking about. So when you were talking about anger and fear, were you talking about me with my wife? I anticipate (laughs) that you make your wife angry a lot, but I've met her, Colin. I don't think she's ever been afraid of you. (laughs) No, I was actually thinking the reverse. (laughs) That you're both angry and afraid of her? Well, you should be after cracking that joke. (laughs) Who are you, Andy Cap? Yeah, I just hope hope she's not listening to the podcast. (laughs) I'm kidding, you are. Hold on, I can feel that fear coming back. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, uh, I may be able to to leverage this podcast episode for some money by blackmailing you, (laughs) threatening to send her the link to this. Yeah. When we talk about being specific, you need to think about, and here the link is to rule number two, which emotions drive most value for you, okay? So rule number two is you need to do two things, really. First of all, you need to understand how your customer is feeling today and which emotions specifically they are feeling. But that's what they're feeling, okay? That may not be what you want them to feel. In Ryan's case, feeling angry and feeling fearful are probably not two good emotions for people to be or for companies to be evoking in their customers, basically. And too many organizations evoke things like feeling frustrated and disappointed, etc. But the issue for me becomes, if you're designing an experience, then what would you want your customers, what do you want your customers to feel? So what's the planned emotion? And with an emphasis on the word planned, which means that you've thought about it, And ideally, what you want to do is you want to evoke an emotion that drives value. In other words, that you get something out of. So whether that's an improvement on net promoter, whether that's an improvement of spend, whether that's an improvement of retention, whatever it is, which emotion will generate more retention? Which emotion will generate more loyalty, which emotion would generate more spend, whatever whatever it may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime we veer into the emotions, we kind of get to this squishy area of psychology, and it can feel very insubstantial. You're a hard-nosed business person, you care about the bottom line, and now here we're talking about making people feel joyful or happy or fearful. And so I like that you draw this connection back that no, no, these emotional states are what drive value. And in fact, I know that you've published research on this. So I don't know if you want to talk people through 
that uh, IJRM publication? So if I go back to the sort of the genesis of this, for the exact reason that you were talking about, I always remember back in 2004, something like that, we were presenting to a German insurance company. And we were talking to the actuaries in a German insurance company, and we were talking to them about emotions, which was a bit of a challenge, I have to say. One of the guys there, I always remember it, turned around to me and said, I can understand where you're coming from. And clearly he said, you believe passionately that this is the right thing for us to do. In other words, evoke emotions in customers. But he said, show me the money, effectively. He didn't say that, but it was those words. He said, prove to me that this will generate money for us. And I have to say, it was absolutely 110% a fair criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Because why would you do any of this if you're not going to make money out of it? So the long and short of it, and as you say, we did research, that sort of spurned two years worth of research with London Business School, which then, again, where we looked at all of the emotions, we looked at all the emotions that there are out there. And it's quite surprising, actually, Ryan, isn't it, that there's not exactly a here are official emotions. It's difficult to even find a, a list that everybody agrees to. We didn't know you at the time. And so we got involved with the chair of consumer psychology in the UK, did two years worth of research at London Business School, and we discovered the 20 emotions that drive and destroy value for an organization. And we'll put a diagram actually in the podcast summary. So for those of you that don't know, every time we do one of these podcasts, We do a podcast summary, which is effectively a page of information. So if you just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary, that's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary, you'll see the hierarchy of emotions in there. The podcast summary just summarizes everything that we've talked about here today, basically. The important part here was that what we discovered was that there were four clusters of emotions. So there's a destroying cluster of emotions. I'm going to read these out, but as I say, you'll be able to download them from the podcast summary. There's a destroying cluster of emotions that we can statistically show that these things destroy value. And again, when I say value, I'm referring to net promoter spend, et cetera, et cetera. So things like irritated, hurried, neglect, unhappy, unsatisfied, stress, disappointed, and frustrated. So our research over that two years with London Business School showed that if you evoke these emotions, then people will spend less with you, will give you lower scores, will not drive loyalty, etc. The next layer up is what we called the attention cluster. And we called it the attention cluster because and what we discovered is that this drives short-term spend. And attention, we called it that because if you look at the emotions in there, which are things like interesting, energetic, stimulated, exploratory, and indulgent, are all things to do with, you know, they're effectively what marketing do. You know, they say, hello, we're over here. They get you interested. They get you stimulated. They want you to explore their products. But that doesn't drive long-term spend. Next cluster up was recommendation. And recommendation are emotions like trust, valued, cared for, safe, and focused. So if the customer feels those things, 
then they will stay with you longer. And finally, what the statistician called the big daddy, in other words, you know, the sort of... <laughs> that's the, a statistical term, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. The, yeah, I always remember, he said, it's the big daddy. Oh, okay, I didn't realise that was a statistical term. There are two emotions in here, and what we've called this the advocacy cluster. In there, we've got happy and pleased. People often ask what we mean, the difference between recommendation and advocacy. Recommendation for me is, if I was coming to Atlanta and I said to you, Ryan, is there a good restaurant? Then you'd tell me where to go, yeah, in the nicest possible sense. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Advocacy would be, if I said, hey, I'm coming to Atlanta, Ryan, you would say, oh, Colin, when you're here, you must go to this restaurant. There's a place you got to see. Yeah, so it's more proactive, as it were. So those are the 20 emotions that drive and destroy value. So again, let's go back to rule number two. Rule number two is not just being specific, but understanding which emotion will drive value for you. You just don't want to pick out an emotion out of the air that just because you think it sounds good. For me, you have to statistically prove that you're going to get value out of it. So those things make sense. I'm conscious I've been waffling for a while. Uh, No, it's great. The framework is useful for several reasons. A, if you're not familiar with kind of this emotional approach to understanding customers, just go to the podcast summary and pull up the diagram. And just seeing that list of 20 emotions arranged in the way that they are, it will really open your eyes, right? It'll help you kind of understand the the breadth of what we're talking about, that they're all, all of these emotions and that they do different things, but that you can also kind of cluster them and help understand how they, they interact together. Another thing that it does is that it provides you with this structure where you can say, here's where we are, here's where we need to be, and here's what we can expect if we do that. I like it for several reasons. Good. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. One of the questions that I'm often asked is, does this apply to business to business as well as business to consumer? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Okay. So just because you're in business to business, it doesn't mean that emotions don't apply. They absolutely apply. That's a critical part of building a great experience. Okay, so rule number three, measure specific emotions across the journey, okay? So let's now think about the fact that you've defined this specific emotion, and let's talk on about trust and cared for, for an example. And again, it does surprise me sometimes because one of the questions I often get is people say, well, how do you measure emotions? And it's very simple. You ask people. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you can ask a customer, do you trust organization, whatever? 
you know, did you feel that the person that you've just spoken to cared for you? And those are absolutely legitimate questions. But rule number three is you need to measure those across the customer journey. So absolutely measure them at a top level. But the problem is if your numbers are starting to decline at a top level, then you need to work out where the problem is. So by definition, you've got to start to dig down into, well, what step of the customer journey is feeling cared for declining or low? Why do we do customer journey maps? Why do we worry about the customer journey? Fundamentally, the reason is because things change for the customer at different points in time. And especially when we're talking about something as as ephemeral as emotions, emotions can change minute to minute or based on the situation. And so like you said, it's, we'll go back to what we said at the beginning. It's better to have some sense of kind of the aggregate overall emotional response that consumers have to you relative to having nothing. That's better. But better still is understanding kind of how those emotions progress. And so if people come into your experience generally pretty happy and then at some point get frustrated, it's really important to know when they do so that you can fix it. So you're measuring this across the journey. If people come into your experience upset and angry, as as people might be when they call into a call center to report a problem, it's useful to know at what stage you can turn that around uh, if you do it all, right? So, So yeah, understand that customers' emotions change over time and based on the situation and get into that so you can better understand what you can do about it. Yeah, and I think the other thing for me to say is that And again, the pandemic is a classic example of this, isn't it? There are external factors that can affect how your customer is feeling. Unless you are measuring those things, you're not going to be able to respond to your customer. You're not going to be able to realize that during a a problem that may not be of your making, that customers need to feel more cared for or more pleased with your service or whatever it may be. And therefore, again, if you go back to the whole concept behind customer experience is this is really, really a key way you can differentiate yourself. What we know is that most organizations focus on the rational parts of an experience. But what we also know from all the research we've done in the emotional signatures that we do, where we effectively look at which emotions are driving most value and those types of things. What we know from all that research that we've been doing since 2005 is that the hidden areas that we often talk about on this podcast, the hidden parts of the experience that drive a great deal of value, typically are the emotional stuff. So feeling like somebody cares for them, feeling appreciated, feeling that you can trust the organization, et cetera. So you've got to do that across the journey. Rule number four, design emotions into your journey maps. And again, what I mean by this is when you've got a journey map and you've now broken that journey down and you're measuring it, you know, and all those things, well, guess what? What you need to do is, and this goes back to what Ryan was saying at the beginning, you know, somebody feeling angry or fearful, then what that may be what they're feeling like today. But what do you want them to feel tomorrow? 
and which ones drive most value. Now design into your journey how you are going to make a customer feel cared for. Yep. So what is it you will do that will make a customer feel cared for or appreciated or valued? Yep. So you're now designing those things in. And one of the best ways I've discovered over the years, again, fairly simple tool to use. But, you know, oftentimes I ask a client when I'm explaining this to them to tell me about the last time they felt trust where they felt somebody trusted them or they felt cared for. So just think about cared for when you're at home and it's, you feel that someone's caring for you. What is it they are doing? And invariably, the answers uh, I get are things like, they spend time with me. They listen to me. And that evokes feeling cared for, as an example. Now all you've then got to do is convert that into your situation. So, okay, so if we if we need to listen to our customers and make the customer feel that we care for them, we've got to show that we're listening to them. So how can we do that? Okay, well, maybe that's around not spending so much time on the telephone, talking to, or should I say, having measures that force people off the phone when their customer phones in. Maybe that's around making eye contact with the customer. Maybe that's around simply taking your jacket off when you go in and sit down and spend time with a customer just to make them you know those subconscious clues that make you go yeah this person really did listen to me does that make sense yeah as i said at the beginning what i like about this list of five things is that there is this kind of natural progression once we've defined the emotions in more than just positive and negative way. Okay, now we need to look across the journey. Okay, and now we're at the stage where we need to actually make a plan for that. So now that we've identified the emotions at the different stages of the journey, we can talk about how we want those emotions to change at the different stages in the journey. And how do we do that? Right? And that's what this rule is, right? What are your specific plans at each stage of the journey for evoking those different emotions? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the last part of the jigsaw for me, you'd have heard this story many times before, Ryan, but let me tell the audience. When I come home at night, this was pre-pandemic, when I used to walk in and before I used to stay at home all the time. But when I come home at night, I walk in the front door and I shout hello to Lorraine, my wife. Within a one-word response, I can tell you how she's feeling. Mm -hmm. I can tell you if she's feeling happy. I can tell you if she's feeling sad. Now, how is it that I'm picking those emotions up? Well, I'm looking at, you know, I'm, the words that she uses, the way that she says it, the body tone, the cadence, all those types of things. The point I'm trying to make here is rule number five, you have to train your people on how to evoke emotions in customers, okay? Even if they're working on digital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because even the way that you set the website out, the words that you use, how you get them to order something, the subconscious clues, the pictures that you use, even in the digital channel, you've got to get people to understand how to evoke an emotion. A, how to understand how the customer's feeling, which is my story of Lorraine, understanding the emotion, 
But with Lorraine, I know what I can do that would make things worse. <laughs> I, I like how you phrase that. You don't know how you could make things better with your wife, <laughs> but you do know how you could make things worse. Listen, we've only been married for nearly 40 years, so I haven't worked that one out. No, yet. no. Long, long trial and error. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll figure it out. But yeah, I do know what will make her feel better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Therefore, you you need to work those things out. So in my view, you got 20% of your, typically 20% of the workforce that are really good, that are highly emotionally intelligent and understand how to do this. And they do it naturally. But the majority, you need to give them some training. And we do a thing called memory maker training, which does all of this. And Ryan and I have worked with a number of different clients on this, which which looks at how do you identify the emotion that a customer is feeling? And then if you want to evoke trust, cared for, whatever it may be, here are the things that you you need to do. Here's the words that you use. Here's the body language you use, need to use, so on and so forth, to make the customer feel those things. And I like the way that you phrased this. Talking about it in this way, like how can you train people to evoke an emotional response in people? It sounds very remedial. Like, don't we do this as human beings all the time? Why do we need to train our employees to do this? And the fact is that some employees, you don't need to train to do this. You have very skilled salespeople in your organization. You have people with extremely high emotional intelligence who do this naturally and intuitively and don't need any help. Training like this is designed to bring everybody else up to that level. Some people get it very naturally and intuitively. Some people, once it's pointed out to them and they're given a few tools and some directions, then it becomes something that they can focus on a little bit more and recognize the importance of and excel at now that they they know a little bit how to do it. That's where you want to do it. You want to bring your average employee up to the skills of your most emotionally intelligent employees who do it naturally. Absolutely. We won't have time to go into this today, but one of the reasons we call our training Memory Maker Training is because Daniel Kahneman talks about the fact that to create a memory or what creates a memory is the peak emotion that a customer feels and the end emotion that a customer feels. He doesn't actually say customer, he says people, because guess what? Customers are people. So understanding the peak emotion and the end emotion that you want your customer to feel is is critical. If you want further information on that, we did a five rules of making and managing customer memories that be worth listening to as well but that really again is really 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 fundamental you're not just evoking emotions because it's a good thing to do and drives value but you're also evoking emotions because they create memory and customer loyalty is a loyalty is a function of memory so again you have to consider those things hope that's uh, been of use. Anything else you want to add to the list, Ryan, before we sign off? The purpose of these five rules is to help people to give them a starting point. But also the approach that we take in these five rules is something that can be more useful generally. Something like managing emotions can feel very overwhelming. It can feel very squishy and you don't know where to start. And breaking something down into more fundamental pieces can really empower us and make us 
feel like we're able to to tackle something like this. So managing emotions across an organization for a customer, that sounds impossible. And, and to some sense, it might be impossible. But once we break it down into five more simple things that we can do, all right, now we've got a starting point. Now we can really get moving on something like this. So we hope that it's helpful. We encourage you to look back on some of the other five rules podcasts that we've done. Take this approach into your own organization when you're facing big, sticky, impossible problems. Break them down into more manageable ones. Yeah, and just to, to summarize, the five rules are be specific. In other words, select particular emotions, not just positive or negative. Define which emotions drive most value for you. Measure the specific emotions across the customer journey. Design the emotions into your journey maps. Okay. And lastly, train your people on how to evoke emotions. So, Hope that's been of use. Uh, Don't forget to check out the other podcasts. If you've got any questions on this or anything else or any suggestions on podcasts we could do for the future, then please don't hesitate to reach out to us by emailing us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.